So we're going to start again. Um, yeah. Well, we're not really going to start again. We're going to continue on from where we were. So, so Father, can you um, help us, Lord, to concentrate, to focus on you, to stay with you, Lord, as you lead us through this day? And, um, yeah, and, and help us to listen, Lord. Could you help us to listen um, so that we really hear what you want us to hear? And, um, yeah. So I thank you, Lord, that you will do that, uh, for you are a gracious, faithful God, and and I praise you, Lord, for um, for who you are, actually, and for the way that you reveal yourself to us. And that's too wonderful, really, for words, Lord. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just a recap. Um, you'll find a definite desire to know God more. You will have an awareness of the need, not necessarily a specific need, but the general needs around you, inside or outside of the church. And you will find that there's a period of testing. Um, the word temptation in Scripture in the New Testament is exactly the same as the word test or trial. So you can the, the word in Scripture, um, and it's gone out of my head for a minute, but the Greek word, it can be translated test, trial, or tempt. And so it depends on the context and the surrounding words as to how it is translated. So in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has seized you. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape that you might endure it. That could be also translated, No test has come upon you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And when you are tested, he will always provide a way of escape that you might endure it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, so the, that word, um, temptation, that's translated temptation there, could be translated trial or test. And um, in James, for example, James will say, let not anyone say that God is tempting us because God cannot tempt us. Um, so James is making a specific point about the fact that God does not tempt anyone to sin. Um, but again, it's the same word. So, um, so you, will have an, uh, you will want to know God more. You will have an awareness of this... Um, uh, job or something that needs uh, doing and you'll find this period of testing or trial and uh, uh, and you'll find distractions and all sorts of things come into your life to stop you doing what you want to do um, and it will require a battling through. If anyone ever tells you that the Christian life is not a life of battling then they're wrong. It is a life of battle from beginning actually to end. You know, there is, you know, there's a lot of joy and peace along the way, but that joy and peace is supernaturally provided by the Lord in times when you shouldn't normally feel joy or peace. And that's how you know it's God. Um, often, you know, if you're finding your life is really easy and comfortable, you know, check yourself out. What you're doing or not, what are you not doing? 
Um, and then finally, uh, with this kind of, when you start on this process, um, you will look at yourself and see complete inadequacy. You will see complete weakness for whatever it is, the need that needs to be addressed. And, um, and through all of that process, God will be opening the eyes of your faith. Um, because by the time you get to the fact that I can't do this, God, you are enabled to say, but nevertheless, not your will, but my, not my will, but yours be done, and that you are able. So I just want to take a look um, at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a great example of a person who was called um, to, to first come close to God and then to, to go uh, where God sent him. And um, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm just going to read the whole, um, the whole chapter. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come, and they will each set one... each." One, and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls around about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have, offered, and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshipped the work of their own hands. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Um, Jeremiah was probably about 20 when he heard from God, and he, his was a very reluctant yes. Um, he thought he was going to be a priest. It says right at the beginning that he was um, 
that Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anatoth. So he thought that he would be a priest, and, and probably that was okay with him because priests had a very routine job. They did the same things every day, um, every season. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were going into um, the temple, and they were making the sacrifices. They were representing man to God and God to man in a way that God had actually laid down. And so... I'm sure Jeremiah thought that would be good. He was expecting to go into the priesthood um, when he was old enough, and suddenly God comes in and speaks to him directly and calls him to be a prophet. And if you lived at that time, you did not want to be a prophet because the people did not want to hear what God would say. We're in the time just up to the um, exile of Israel, of Judah to, to Babylon. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar were going to come in and destroy the city. Over three sieges, they will um, take captives from Jerusalem and Judea into uh, Babylon. And finally, they will destroy the city in um, about 584 B.C. And... Um, and so God has been calling them and calling them and calling them and calling them for years and years and years and years. And they have steadily uh, withdrawn from him. And so now God is going to ask Jeremiah to speak his word to this people. And Jeremiah's obviously no fool. He knows this is going to be a thankless task and he doesn't want to do it. And to be honest... Um, if God, if you're sensing the call of God in your life, it's probably going to be to something that, humanly speaking, won't be easy. Um, when I came back to Japan, um, someone gave me a, a verse from Scripture. He said, oh, Anne, I, I've had a word for you. I thought, great, that'll be wonderful. Thank you, I said. And he said, it's in Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel uh, chapter 1. And so I turned there with him, and he was really excited. He was only young. He was a friend of my daughter. And I was excited because I thought, this is going to be great, you know. Um, sorry, I'm struggling to find it. And where are we? Ezekiel. Uh, sorry, it's chapter 3. Um, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go back and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. And he said... Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then he said to me, Go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. That was a pretty hard word to hear when I came back to the UK. And uh, for a long time, I thought it couldn't be true. <laughs> you know, I mean, surely God knew who I was. I'm a woman, and there's a lot of opposition to women teaching. And, um, uh, you know, I'm getting older, so, I mean, he surely must see that. So, really, I'm probably not the first choice for hard aggressive ministry. Um, but that's actually been how God has worked. I'm sending you to people who should listen, but they won't listen. 
They won't listen because they're not willing to listen to me. And really, honestly, I would think if God is stirring up in you something, it will be a, the same sort of experience. We are living in days of great trial. Paul wrote to Timothy that these were, when, in the last days there will be times of stress. Difficult times will come, he says. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, holding to a form of godliness, yet denying its power. And that word for men in Timothy, in most, almost all of the two letters to Timothy, is people. It's not men, it's women, men, it's people. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Holding to a form of godliness, which can be translated religion, but denying its power. Paul's talking about people in the church. That they difficult times will come because people will be uh, wanting to please themselves. And they won't want to hear what God wants to say. And, um, yeah. So uh, God is talking to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah knows that this is going to be a tricky thing to do. And he's going to know, as I say, as Paul said to Timothy, that difficult days are ahead. Difficult days were already there. Um, he, he was uh, speaking in the time of Josiah, which was quite a good time. It was a revival time for Israel because Josiah was a good king. It says in Second uh, Chronicles 34 that Josiah came to the throne at eight years old and he set his heart to, to follow the Lord at eight. And he went about restoring the land of um, Judah that had been desecrated by his father, Manasseh, and he brought back the correct worship of the people. But as soon as he died, the people went back to their old ways. And this is uh, what the start of this is, that he's, he's going to speak in the, in the reign of Josiah and then of Josiah's um, children, his sons who took the throne after him, up until the time they go into Babylon. This is a hard time. We are in a hard time. We are in a hard time. And um, so... God is calling him in a hard time, and Jeremiah is certain he's not the man for the job, as was I. I'm not, this, I'm not that person. You know, I like things easy, and I like people to like me, and I like it when we can all be friendly and happy, and we can smile a lot and drink coffee, and, and I like that, you know. And I'd come from a bubble in Japan, because God had put me in a Christian bubble, where everybody loved, well, not everybody in Japan, but in my church there was this group who loved God. They loved his word. They taught me about the Holy Spirit. They taught me about what it was to live with God. I knew men and women of God who, who just discipled me. They never said they were discipling me because I would have said, I don't need discipling. I already know everything there is to know. But they did it by being my friend and by living for God in front of me. And it was so appealing to me. But when I came back to the UK, it was like coming to a foreign land. In Japan, you have to carry an alien registration card, as if you don't know that you're a foreigner. In Japan, you need a card to tell everybody else that you're a foreigner. So it's called an alien registration card. I felt I needed one of those when I came back. I wanted to say to people, I look like you, but actually, I, I, I don't know what's happening. And that was inside the church. That was inside the church. 
That's the hard, hard thing. And that was Jeremiah's call, inside the people of God, to speak a message of God that people would not listen to. And um, he was told by God here, I want you to go where I send you and say what I tell you to say. And his response was just like Paul. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? And he answers his own question in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, that God, where is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. When you get to that stage in the process of God calling you to more than just an easy life, when he's calling you to, to, to walk so closely with him so that he can use you, you will just look at yourself in abject horror and know, I can't do any of it. And God will say, finally, finally, you got there. You can't do any of it, but I can do it all through you and that's what happened with Jeremiah he had to go where God, where God sent him speak what God said through him and he had to believe God's promise that by not fearing the people that was the specific way that Jeremiah would show that he believed what God was doing in and through him by not being afraid God says to him at the end of, or in the middle of that chapter do not be dismayed by their faces or I will dismay you. That's what, that's what faith, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, enables you to do, not to be dismayed by the faces of people who look back at you, and you are looking and thinking, they understand what I'm saying, but they don't want to hear it. You know, these people, they just don't want to hear it. So um, just when, the, when he's saying to God that he's not able to do it, God touches his mouth, just as he did with Isaiah, with the coal, the seraphim comes to Isaiah and touches his mouth. God actually touches Jeremiah's mouth and puts his word in his mouth. And when you think about that, he says also, I'm going to watch over my words to fulfill them. To fulfill them. So not only was God going to give Jeremiah what to say, he was actually going to make sure that what he said came to pass. And Jeremiah would at least see part of that. He actually would be taken to Babylon. He would see the fulfillment of this word of God that had gone out. And, and it made me think about the word of God and about, you know, because everything's you know, I've been talking about the Word of God a lot, but think about the Word of God. What happened when God spoke? What happens when God speaks? Things come into being. Things come into being. The whole universe came into being because God said, let there be. Let there be. And actually, in the original Hebrew, it isn't let there be. It's just that God said, light. And light so there are no extraneous words that God needed, let there be. It was just because let there be sounds like he's got to ask permission for there to be light, but there isn't. It's just light, and light existed.
and you put your trust in him, and he said, life to you. He said, life to you. Life from the dead. Resurrected, powerful life in Christ Jesus. He said, blessing on your life. And you receive joy and peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. And those things came into being in your life because God spoke them to you. And you know the end from this, of this book. What has God said will happen? What has God spoken? That's a question. Tell me, what has he spoken? What has he said will happen? And before that? Yes, yes. Before that, what's going to happen? He, he spoke light and this world came into existence. He brought order out of chaos. It says in, in Genesis 1 that you know, and the, the, uh, the spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep and it was dark and there was nothing and it was just light and light came. And then it was land and then it was birds and then it was animals and then it was man and it was all God speaking. And at the end he says, this world is going to be burned up. This world will be burned up. And that is supposed to strike a, a chord in us so that we understand human beings are not going to save the planet. That's just not going to happen. But you see, the thing is, we've got so involved in the human stuff and in, in, in looking like good, ethical, moral people that we've forgotten. It's going to burn up. The whole thing is going to go up. And there's things that are going to happen before that. And they're real. And they're talked about. They're prophesied in the Old Testament. And they will come into being in our day. And we are supposed to be living as if that's true. As if we believe it. And living as if you believe it, what will that bring back to you? What will be the response? I'm not against um, stewarding our planet. I, I, you know, definitely that's a good thing to do. But what I'm against is the idea that we can save the world. And that has infiltrated the church to a huge degree so that the church is believing we will save the planet, we will make things good, and then Jesus will return. That is the opposite to the scripture. The scripture says... The world will get darker and darker and darker and darker and more desperate and more evil and more wicked and then Christ will come. It's the opposite. So now I'm, I'm being called by God. You are being called by God to read that and say, okay, where do you stand on that? Where are you going to stand on that? Because it matters. It matters. Because if you don't believe that, 
then why do you believe any of the rest of it? Why? If you don't believe what's written down, why are you believing that Jesus gave you eternal life? Why do you believe that you're going to go to be with him in paradise? On what basis do you believe that? But if you don't believe the rest of it, that's what I'm saying, Julia. If you don't believe that, how can you believe other things? This is something you have to sort out in your mind because no one else will do this for you. You have to decide. And then you have to sit at dinner parties with people who look you in the eye and laugh in your face. You have to live with people who will call you a fundamentalist. And, a, you know, and you're so arrogant. You're so arrogant. Jesus is the only way. How can that be? You're so arrogant. You're so proud. You're so this. You're so that. And you will have to soak that up and churn it down and ask the Lord to give you grace with those people. To give you grace. And everything humanly in you will want to rise up and shout and scream at them. There is so much going on in our day. It's almost impossible to stay up with it. Everything is changing, changing, changing. Do you know, I studied Revelation when I was first a Christian. Daniel and then Revelation. And when I studied Daniel and then went on to Revelation, I thought, oh, I mean, do you know, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? You know, there'll be a mark on their hand without which they won't be able to buy or sell. I thought, that just can't, don't be ridiculous. I mean, we didn't even have cell phones, I don't think. Well, maybe we did, but, you know. And what's happening now? We're there. We're right there in that time. So, honestly, if you're feeling a stirring from God, come closer, come closer, you just better get on your knees and say to God, I can't do this without you. This is too hard. I live with a husband. I live with a husband who doesn't believe. He's a great husband. I love him to bits. I've been married for a long, 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 long time. He's my best friend. But he does not believe this. He doesn't believe Jesus. He doesn't believe. So I know what this is like. I know what Jeremiah is like. I know what that's like in my own home. And I know what that's like outside. It is hard, and I know what it's like in the church to speak this out. So if you don't have fantastic fellowship, if you don't have people around you, outside of the place, I mean, I don't know what your church is like, and hopefully it is wonderful, but if it isn't, you need to find fellowship outside of your church so that when you go back into the building, you are strengthened And you are able to witness to the people in the building about the God that we serve. Jeremiah is asked to go to his own people and God's put his words in his mouth. And and in a way, God's telling Jeremiah, you've got to eat this word up. And that's what he's going to say to you. That's what he says through scripture. Eat this word. My dad used to say, eat and inwardly digest. And that's what this is. Eat this word and inwardly digest it. Make it a part of your everyday life. Read it until you totally and utterly know what God is saying and what he is saying to you through it. So in, in spite of all his denials and um, 
all of his not being able to do it, Jeremiah accepted the call from God. And he said yes. I don't think he said anywhere, anytime, or whatever, anything, but it was as good as. And he became what? He became one of the most unpopular prophets in Israel's history. He became probably the most unpopular prophet. So, you know what? Take a look. (laughs) He did what God called him to do. And in our day and age, and in our wonderful, happy, clappy church, we're told, wow, God blessed him. And it was amazing. And he he saw great blessing from it. And he, he just saw hundreds and thousands of people turn to the Lord. And it was great. And they came in and there was this huge revival. What happened? He was put down a a hole. He was put in a cellar in a well. He was given no food. If God hadn't intervened, he would have stayed there and died there. Nobody liked him. Maybe one or two. But he had a very difficult life. Yet his words or the words of his life are written in this book. He, he wrote this book, or this book is written f- about him, and then Lamentations. There's a large part of, of scripture that is sp- spoken through him or about his life. I don't know about you. I want, some, I want to know that something I've done might have been written down somewhere, <laughs> or something that God has done through me, not I have done. You know what I mean? That will be written down. I want to know that something I said made a difference to someone's life. That that the way I lived and the way I believed and the faith that I tried to do my best to build up, Jude will say, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. You build yourselves up on that faith. I want to know one day that that made a difference to someone Someone I listen to online. I don't listen to many people. I listen to this guy, Carter Conlon. Some of you all know this. He's a preacher. He's the pastor of Times Square Church. I love his voice. And I love, his, I love, his, I love that he loves God and that he loves the word. And he was saying that, he was talking about, you know, when, when you get to go into heaven and he was giving this example of, you know, everybody inside the gates and they're all cheering and they're saying, there comes Edna Smith. I don't know if that was her name. But, here comes Edna Smith and here she is. We've been waiting for her for so long. And, and then he says, you know, people are going to, you know, some people are going to say, Edna Smith? Who on earth was Edna Smith? But in will come this old, well, she won't be old, she'll have a glorious new body, but you know what I mean. In will come this, this person that nobody really knew, but who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and made a difference in the lives of the people she prayed for. I want to be Edna Smith. You know what? I really want to be Edna Smith. I want to be someone who makes a difference. And I think you do too. I think you do too. You want to be used by God. And you want to be 
just you want to know that you're on the right track with him, that he's that he's he's taking you. You're going along the path that he wants you to take, and you want to hear him talk to you, and you want to know that you know that you know that you know that he loves you and that he will never fail you. You want that, don't you? You really do want that. I want that. I want to understand that I need never fear because my God is faithful. That he will always see me through. I want to know those things in the deep depth of my being because I want to be able to stand at the last and say, I gave it everything I had, which was nothing. But God did that through me. And I think that everybody here who comes, especially those who come regularly, I think you want that too. And so I just think that's amazing because God gave us that desire. God gave us that desire. And if God gives you a desire, what is definitely going to happen? It will be fulfilled. There's no doubt. Because what God speaks, he does. What God wants to happen, will happen. So Jeremiah... Um, he, he was used by God. He did amazing things. He was unpopular, but he knew God in the walk. If you just turn quickly to Matthew. I will come to you, Juliet. You were going to say something, weren't you? I'm sorry. If you could just go to Matthew chapter 16. Um, Because one of the things I think that we are often taught is that um, uh, when you follow Jesus, it'll all be okay. Come to Jesus, everything will be okay. I've just said that, I know. But, um, but, but what I think the Bible tells us is that it's not easy to stand alone. It's not easy to resist the crowd. It's not easy to swim upstream. That is really difficult. It's not easy to hold on to God when your whole life is falling apart around you. It's not easy to hold on to the promises of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Will you conform? That's the question Jesus is asking. Will you conform or will you carry your cross? And, and carrying the cross is not, you know, I, my mum lived with me for eight years. That was hard, hard, hard for me. Not because she was difficult, but because I was shown exactly who I was when that happened. That was a hard walk. And I used to think, maybe, she, maybe that's my cross. You know, I've got my mum living with me for eight years. That wasn't my cross. That was the blessing of God in my life. The cross is you denying everything you want in your humanness and saying yes to God. Everything you might want in your life, 
you are willing to lay aside anything, anytime, anywhere and say yes to God. Because when you decide to do that, what will happen? Yep, you'll see God at work. And actually, in a strange way, people will follow you. Not crowds. The crowds didn't follow Jesus. As soon as he said something hard, they disappeared. John chapter 6, you get to the end of that chapter, and there's just been hundreds of disciples following him. And, and then he says something about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And, and it says that John, John says at the end, it was too difficult for them. They couldn't understand it, so they walked away. They walked away. But some stayed and followed. If you pick up your cross, if you deny yourself, if you decide you want Jesus no matter what, you want his life, you want to serve him no matter what, people will follow you. People will want to imitate you as you imitate Christ. People will be drawn to you. And God will do amazing things through your life. So... I want to just take another look at take a look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and then Isaiah. So if we could look at Isaiah, which is one book back, as you know. Just look at Isaiah. I want to think about this uh, because Jeremiah was called by God and he was a leader. But he wasn't called to leadership, if you know what I mean. He didn't think of himself as a leader. He thought of himself as someone who was doing what God wanted him to do. And Isaiah the same. And, and what I saw when I was preparing for today was that when God calls you to himself, you get a vision of God that is just so much bigger than you thought. But at the same time, you get a vision of yourself and you are so much smaller than you thought. That's like normal. I heard once a long time ago, the closer you get to the light, the more you see the muck. You know, the sun shines in those windows. It's not coming in now. But when the sun shines in a window and you get that light, you see all sorts of dust in the air you didn't know was there. That's true about us. The closer you get to God, the more you see how little you deserve to be close to God. But the closer you get to God, the less it matters because he is beyond and more. And he is made huge in your understanding. Isaiah um, had a vision of God. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Um, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. What has happened in those, what, eight verses, nine verses? Isaiah has seen God high and lifted up. And actually, John, in John chapter 12, I think it's verse 37 or 47, 42, I think, um, uh, John will tell us that Isaiah saw Jesus. He saw Jesus in the throne room, high and lifted up. And so this vision, he gets this vision of God, the reality of who God is and what he looks like and how holy, holy, holy he is, how totally different he is. And Isaiah then immediately sees himself for who he is. Woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then straight away, he is forgiven. He is uh, is kind of lifted up in the grace of God and he is given a call. Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah's answer, send me. Here am I, send me. Why do you think he's answered that? Because he, he he saw God, he saw himself, truly saw himself, perhaps for the first time, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he he saw that clearly because he saw God. So when he hears that call, which is almost immediately after his forgiving, after the angel touches his lip with the coal and says, you're forgiven, why does he say yes? Because really, why does he say yes? Yeah, Kate has said down here, because if you've just seen God, you don't say no. And I think actually, that's it. If you truly see who God is, and I mean, I haven't seen who God is, I have to say that. I'm not preaching from from any, any superior vantage point. My eyes are so often down here in the muck, you know, but when you get a glimpse of this God... Everything in you just wants to go. It's almost, you you can't wait for him to say, who shall I send? Because it's like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'll go, I'll go. Because you've seen him. And you want to go for him. And you want to serve him. Now that's a challenge. It's a challenge I'm going to make just before lunch. Have you seen this God? Have you seen this Christ high and lifted up? Have you heard the angels around him, not literally, but have you heard them say, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know that he is the same yesterday, today and forever, that he holds eternity in his hand, that Jesus Christ is God, he is God. Do you, can you just decide today, that you don't know him well enough, but you want to know him more. And that you will spend time in this word getting to know him.
so that when you've seen him, even for that moment, you'll say, anytime, anything, anywhere. Anytime, anything, anywhere. Yeah. So, I think we'll stop there. Yeah, for lunch. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, which is amazing. Thank you for the promises that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that... Thank you, thank you, thank you that you bother with people like us. I mean, it's just amazing, Lord. And so I ask, Father, that, um, again, that our conversation will be um, honouring to you, that we will um, choose to think about what we've seen in Jeremiah and Isaiah, that we will, um, we will choose and that we will be able later on to say anything anytime, anywhere, for you, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. Amen.